This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Paddy Buckley. I'm head of video products at Stuff. And I'm Carol Hirschfeld, and I'm head of video, audio, and content partnerships. And we're here to tell you about Stuff's newest product. It is Play Stuff. Play Stuff is New Zealand's new home for video. It's going to be both part of the website. You'll be able to go there from stuff.co.nz, but also going to be standalone new mobile applications. It really is a place where we will showcase our best video journalism, but we'll also give our audience, for the first time, entertainment video. That was a promotional video for Stuff's new video service, Play Stuff, offering more than 10,000 videos to stream from sources such as the BBC, TVNZ, Reuters, Vice.com and Stuff itself. Now, some of these are simple short news reports, but others are movie-length documentaries and factual features. Stuff's editor-in-chief, Patrick Crudson, described Play Stuff like this to us. Play Stuff is a news and entertainment platform. The best news video that Stuff produces will be available on Play Stuff, and we will feature news and other videos from Play Stuff on Stuff the website as well. The, t- the two will work hand in hand. Now, this free online service is not to be confused with Stuff Picks, Stuff's video-on-demand service offering Hollywood movies for paying subscribers, one of a suite of different businesses that Stuff is now operating online to make a buck. And one reason this former newspaper company has former broadcast executives like those two now on the staff. But it's not long ago that Stuff was a much simpler company, a newspaper publisher called Fairfax Media. Now, similarly, the forerunner of Spark was Telecom, dedicated to phones and phone lines. Today, Spark still sells you phones, but it's also in the online video game big time. A huge step forward for telecommunications company Spark. It's made its first move into sports content production and revealed a four-year deal with the International Hockey Federation. In doing so, it's secured the broadcasting rights for events such as the Hockey World Cup. That was breaking news last November, and no disrespect to the Hockey World Cup, but Sparks moved a long way since then, doing a deal to stream the Rugby World Cup live in October. And they're using that to sell broadband connections. Get New Zealand's only broadband with a free Rugby World Cup 2019 tournament pass. And to sell mobile phones. Get New Zealand's only mobile phones with a free Rugby World Cup 2019 tournament pass. When you buy any mobile... And last week, Spark announced that the English Premier League football will also be exclusively live on its sports app too. This week, Spark's Chief Financial Officer David Chalmers, who's also the company's executive lead for sport, told an industry conference in Auckland the work it's doing to ensure that it won't be Spark's fault if it doesn't work for some people when it all kicks off in Japan. The conference was organised by the Telecom Users Association of New Zealand, or 2ANS for short, and it was all about the digital age phenomenon that's made all of this possible, convergence. Go back 30 years and telecommunications and television were very different businesses. A tiny number of companies offered different services using different technologies, run on different networks. The former mostly involved two-way voice communication or phone calls in plain English and telecom was effectively the only game in town for that. You could send a fax or a picture or two down the line but even that was pushing the technology of the times. Likewise, broadcasting back then was strictly one-way stuff, signals sent via transmitters to aerials to our homes over publicly regulated airwaves. The proliferation of satellites heralded the intersection of telecoms, TV and broadcasting, but it was digital technology which really started mashing the two together to the point where they're now running on the same networks online 
and providing similar services. All this convergence means our big media companies, former newspaper publishers and broadcasters, and phone companies are all now operating in similar territory online. And they're all up in each other's business, alongside international online media providers like subscriber service Netflix, as well as Facebook and Google-owned YouTube, offering unlimited hours of video for free. Now, all this has changed the game for New Zealand's news media companies, now operating in a crowded and overlapping market, and fears for the future of some of them were aired at that two ands gathering this week, the Digital Convergence Symposium. Technology writer Sarah Putt was there, and on Thursday she summed up the challenge for all our major media companies on 9 to noon like this. Not only is it we have all these global players that are hugely well-funded and in um and resourced, we've also got to deal with trying to get this new audience, which doesn't necessarily want to tune into the six o'clock news. So lots to think about. And there is also a lot to think about for the government and the state agencies which fund broadcasting and media. Late last month, the Broadcasting Minister Chris Farfoy and the New Zealand On Air Chief Executive Jane Wrightson met behind closed doors with news executives from news media outfits including TVNZ, NZME, MediaWorks and RNZ. They heard from the Deputy Chair of Australia's media regulator, the ACCC, which has just published a big report about the sustainability of media there in a similarly converged and competitive market. Now, Chris Farfoy has already said that he fears for the future of some news media companies and some may not survive long as things stand currently. But it remains to be seen just how his government responds to the media companies' problems here as he rethinks the government policy. Michael Boggs is the chief executive at NZME, short for New Zealand Media and Entertainment, which owns half the country's radio stations, including News Talk ZB, and also publishes the New Zealand Herald and other local papers in the North Island. Last year, a long-running and costly bid to merge with Stuff failed because the competition watchdog said it would be anti-competitive. Well, this week, Michael Boggs told the Telecom Users Association conference consolidation was inevitable. So what exactly does that mean for them? and for the public. Yeah, I absolutely think there needs to be consolidation. And, you know, I shared today, I guess, some of our story with going to the Commerce Commission where we looked to be able to merge with stuff. And, and much of that was around creating the future runway for journalism in New Zealand. So if I look back from when we started that process with the Commerce Commission, uh, 150 uh, journalists have gone from the regional markets of New Zealand. That's nearly 30% of the journalists are no longer working in the industry. And that's not a great trend. Yeah, but how much of that's to do with uh, the Commerce Commission denying those two companies, including yours, permission to merge? I mean, you have shareholders that want to get a return, and if some journalists have to go to make the bottom line, well, they'll wear that. Uh, It's part of the model, right? And and so that is the model we're currently operating to, obviously. And so I think without consolidation, that puts more pressure on the New Zealand industry as a whole. You know, so not just ourselves or stuff, but, you know, many other media players. Because of this convergence we're talking about, these are companies that all overlap now, and the same when you talk about the service to the customer. So of the five or six big media names like NZME, MediaWorks, Stuff, RNZ, for example, I mean, which are the ones that will have to give way or be folded into other ones? What does it actually mean when you say consolidation? And so I think that will yet to play out. You know, I, I can't sit here and predict what that is, but I think there will be less players in the future. We're obviously seeing uh, telecommunications companies enter the media industry as well, uh, so there will be some form of consolidation in the marketplace. Only a few of these companies do news and journalism. Is news 
vulnerable in this environment. Could news just disappear from companies where once it was the core? Well, I think news absolutely is the core of our businesses, but I think, to your point, it is vulnerable. And, uh, you know, the 150 regional journalists that will have, you know, gone from the market over the last few years, that must mean that people locally are not being held to account as much. The local stories aren't being told. And I don't think that's good for New Zealand. I don't think that's good for our communities. And I don't think that's good for our future. I mean, you've had to do a bit of that at NZME as well. Journalism and news gathering in, in, the, in the regions where you still have staff, mostly in the North Island. But, I mean, if your shareholders give you a hard time, if the share price drops a bit and you have to pretty much stop doing news, is that ever likely to happen? So the thing that we're really focused on is what is the content that really is quite local What is it that's live? Because that's what we can cover. And then we actually choose secondarily which platform to put it on. Broadcasting is still kind of privileged by the government in terms of the public spend on it. You've got RNZ, entirely funded from the public purse. TVNZ is state-owned and... Uh, as we heard today from its chief executive, has uh, been told, don't worry about returning us a dividend, just put it back into content creation. Are you wanting to see a change in that, given that everybody's doing similar kinds of work online these days and it's all crossing over? Firstly, we're obviously, as much as possible, trying to stand on our own two feet, create our own uh, content that uh, we can put on our platforms and monetize. So it's likely to be that it might go to digital first. Now we have a decision as to whether it's to free digital or to paid digital. It's then likely that it might actually go to radio next. It might go to News Talk ZB, for example. And then later in the day, it's likely that we'll then start to think about, is that a piece of news that should go into the Herald? So it actually is one newsroom now. But, you know, congratulations to New Zealand On Air. They have said we will fund other organisations other than broadcast TV or some radio if you've got a story yeah. to tell. And so that gives us a chance to access some of that public money. I, I do find it a little bit ironic, though, of, um, you know, RNZ over the years has said uh, we haven't had a budget increase for years, so please, government, please uh, give us some more money, and the government's done that. Um, I wish I had someone to go to to say, actually, I haven't had as much advertising over the last few years, so could uh, someone please give me some more advertising? You know, it's, uh, but the fact of revenue falling at commercial media organisations isn't a rationale for a corresponding drop in public broadcasting. If anything, it would be a rationale for more to make up the difference. And, and, and that's why I'm pleased as well that, again, RNZ and New Zealand on Air are looking to how they can help support that uh, local journalism, which is so important for our future. And hiring new journalists with revenue from the paywall where you can. Who have you been able to hire on the back of the income coming in? Um, There absolutely has been some uh, recent announcements and there'll be some further announcements, so uh, I can guarantee you we are in the market hiring people. But for what kind of journalism? What Uh, what are you going to put it into? So the the things that we're actually seeing the most most growth from a listener and people actually really wanting that in-depth journalism. Firstly, it's uh, business. Secondly, it's politics. And thirdly, it's sport. That was NZME's Chief Executive Michael Boggs talking to me last Tuesday, shortly after speaking at the Digital Convergence Symposium in Auckland, organised by the Telecom Users Association of New Zealand. Now on stage earlier at the same event, and airing some of the same concerns, was Kevin Kenrick, the Chief Executive at TVNZ, and the longest-serving media Chief Executive currently in this country. 
Now, as a state-owned broadcaster, part of TVNZ's mission has been to pay a dividend to the Crown from its profits, something it's struggled to do in recent years. Its most recent Statement of Performance Expectations document says that TVNZ does not anticipate paying a dividend in the foreseeable future. Commercial rivals have struggled with this too. MediaWorks hasn't paid shareholders a dividend in years. NZME have said they won't be paying one this year. And analysts say Sky TV will likely cut theirs this year too. But as a state-owned outfit, that raises more questions, some of which I put to Kevin Kenrick this week after his speech. A huge increase in the number of content services that are available for consumers doesn't increase the marketing budgets of New Zealand advertisers and it doesn't increase the discretionary spend of New Zealand households. But ultimately, unless that market grows, then it would inevitably contract as well. So what do you think is most vulnerable? I mean, for example, you've got two big broadcasting companies and you've got TVNZ and MediaWorks in the television area. You've got uh, NZ Meath that has a big radio holding like MediaWorks, so basically three in this kind of audiovisual broadcasting area, if you look at it like that. Do you think they'll all be there five years' time? I guess you know, everyone's got an opinion, but no one really knows. I just look at the macro context, and I don't think it's sustainable to have more fragmented, smaller-scale players in an industry that is a high-cost participate, and if the market's not growing. So unless New Zealand starts a breeding program and we get a whole lot more consumers, or unless we get a whole lot more businesses that are willing to advertise, then the market is what it is. So I guess I can see you'd be reluctant to think actually name ones, even if I prompt you for it, that you think might be vulnerable. But if we're looking at, say, there's TVNZ, there's RNZ as a public organisation, there's NZME stuff, MediaWorks, those big companies, and Sky Television with its particular focus on that paid content. All operate, you say that's too much for the future. We've got the same number of mass-reach, free-to-air TV channels in Australia as what you have... So in New Zealand is what you have in Australia. I mean, the net effect is the cost of TV advertising in New Zealand is about a third of what it is in Australia. Yeah, actually, that's an argument Michael Anderson, the chief executive at MediaWorks, has made as well. But often to say that there shouldn't be a state-owned television broadcaster parking its tanks on his particular Mm. lawn. Do you feel vulnerable in that regard? To to me, it's not about a vulnerability for us as an organisation. I think you've got to take a market view. What would be in the best interests of New Zealand consumers and advertisers? Then what is a sustainable market structure? Um, Because I don't think that commercial investors will continue to invest if they can't get a return. And unless you've got other benefits that you're banking as a result of being in the market, then ultimately these things will just play out. And at times we tend to to look at everything that's changing versus the things that are not. The things that are not is that consumers will view content that they think is quality content that either informs them or entertains them. I think more and more of that is showing up in video format and we're in the informing and the entertaining business. So so that part of it's a real positive. The challenge is how you distribute it and how you get a return on that. And the distribution, because it's fragmented and because there's more ways of doing it, it just means there's increased cost to deliver the same content to the same number of viewers. And then in the digital world, you're up against global versus local competitors who, you know, they just have the ability to commoditise the market and sustain it in a way that local players don't. Well, you mentioned making a return on investment in this kind of market is difficult, but it sounds like from what you said, the government isn't bothered about that anymore. They're saying, don't worry about a dividend, reinvest it in your business. You, you mentioned today that was an argument you made to them 
they more or less accepted it? Well, we think in the current market environment that there is more value to the government as the owner of the business and us investing to create a sustainable future than maximising near-term dividend yield. And, and they agree. So when you're in a world where you've got global players that are prepared to lose billions of dollars a year to build a future, then us maximising dividend yield and foregoing investment in the future feels like we're going the wrong way. What do we, the public, get out of it? Because the government only owns it on our behalf, right? Look, I think the value to New Zealanders of of TVNZ has always been more about the impact that we have than the financial results that we deliver. So I think on a good day, TVNZ informs New Zealanders, we entertain New Zealanders, we champion New Zealand voices, New Zealand stories. But how are we going to know as viewers, as New Zealanders, because they've let you off the hook of having to run a tight enough ship to return them some money, that it's going back into the business? What what will we see? Um, What you'll see is a significant increase in investment in local content. So the mix between local and international will shift markedly towards local. You will continue to see investment in building an online future and making that content available across more devices. Um, And what you'll also see is a greater adoption of data to to actually understand what individual viewers want and and, and to enable advertisers to have more targeted relevant ads. So does that mean users of the on-demand service will have the, the data of their viewing habits effectively will be more closely analysed by you to direct advertising towards them? Yeah, look, in the, in the next two weeks we are introducing profiles so in the on-demand world you can register as an individual rather than as a household. Then that way you can personalise the content and the favourites and the things that you want to see. It also means that as we get to know more about the individual viewers that the ads will be more relevant to people rather than things that are a distraction. But no option to not have advertising? I mean, you do it for the children on the Hey Hey platform, but what about it? On a publicly owned channel with uh, screening a lot of publicly funded programmes, shouldn't there be an ad-free option? Well, the thing we did talk to the government about was investing in the business as opposed to maximising dividend yield. What we're not asking for is is a handout. We're not asking for a subsidy. This is a commercially funded business. It is self-funded. We are committed to being self-sufficient, but to investing to to future-proof that business. But, I mean, screening local content, some of it's popular, some of it isn't. So, I mean, if you've got this goal of hitting 2 million or more New Zealanders a day... Mm-hmm. Um, could the government get you slack on that? And then maybe you could screen a broader range of content where the advertising, the commercial part of the recipe might not be so important. But in an ad-funded world, there's got to be enough critical mass for it to be economically viable. So you and I might individually think a particular show is wonderful, but unless we've got tens of thousands of others who believe the same thing as us, it's not going to be commercially viable because the cost per hour to produce local is significantly greater Mm. than to buy the rights to international. So the same number of hours will cost more money, but at the same time we know that New Zealanders love to see our own talent and to hear our own voices and and to hear our own stories. And so that's our point of difference when we're competing with global players, but also I think it's more rewarding for New Zealand viewers. And finally, um, part of this convergence, people doing things that other media companies were also doing that they never were in the past. Um, Are you likely to get into pay services at any point? Is it something you might end up doing if um, the likes of Spark services take off and others that you might get into this area too? 
never say never, but it's not our top priority right now. So, you know, we are working closely with advertisers that are looking for more more use of data to give them more insight about the audiences so they can target things more effectively. We've got a great relationship with New Zealand advertisers and media agencies, and that is our core strength, so we're going to play to that first. We may distribute content via other players that have got a charging mechanism, but I think it's a little while before we build our own because the economics are just not that sustainable for a company the size of TVNZ. That was TVNZ Chief Executive Kevin Kenrick talking to me there shortly after speaking at the Digital Convergence Symposium on the future of TV and media held by the Telecom Users Association of New Zealand in Auckland this week. Earlier we heard from NZME's Chief Executive Michael Boggs and technology writer and analyst Sarah Putt. And you can hear more from all of them about how digitally driven convergence is changing the media, for better and for worse, in the online version of the story. Look for the title, Convergence, yesterday's buzzword, Now the new media normal.